Hi, I'm back. Hello. Hi, welcome back. Ready graphics? Ready theme? It was directed by Barnett Kelman. It's directed by Barnett Kelman. It is directed by Barnett Kelman. Hey, we've heard that name before. We have. It is directed by Barnett Kelman. Again. And directed by Barnett Kelman. Directed by Barnett Kelman. Oh, yes. It was directed by Barnett Kelman. Barnett Kelman. What? No. Stop. Yeah. Kelman, comma, Barnett. Hi, this is Lauren Milberger. And this is Jesse Mullins. And we're back for part two of our amazing interview with Barnett Kelman. We did not want to let him off the No, phone. he was so generous with his time, which we so appreciate. Mm -hmm. And we really think you're going to enjoy the second half as much as you enjoyed the first half. Yes, we... It's like you can... You know he's a director because the arc of our conversation was just so satisfying. <laughs> yes. He he's di just directing his life. Something I wanted to add, that the New York Times in 1989 referenced Barnett's direction by saying that Barnett's direction has become a master class in comic timing. Which is appropriate considering he now teaches comedy. Yeah, so we think this was a, a master class as well because he's not just experienced with Murphy Brown, but he's an experienced comedy director. And I think you're going to learn a lot. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please please support us uh, by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. It raises our profile on the, on the searches. And, um, or we'd love to hear from you on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Murphy Brown Pod. You can email us at murphybrownpod at gmail.com. You can also find past episodes or extra information about some of the interviews at murphybrownpod.com. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break before we start season two. A hiatus, as they say in the yes. TV world. And uh, we'll be back in September for season two and more. Get ready. See you soon, guys. Bye. Bye. So as we were saying, we, we, we joke that, you you know, your name is always coming up for, for the full season that we are on and will be for a while. Mm -hmm. What do you feel is your, your mark in uh, building that first season that eventually, you know, became signatures for the show? Wow. My, my mark? Well, I, I would definitely say the physical, behavioral interaction, the familiarity, the touchy-feely, if you will, aspect um, of those relationships, um, the busyness of the bullpen, because the integration of all the extras. You know, those extras, um, we basically, I don't know how many made it the 10 years, but for the first four, you know, there, there are people that stayed the whole time. We made everybody recurring and started giving them, and that all happened. That was all stuff that happened. And then the writers, Diane picked up on it and she kept writing to it, which was wonderful. So like, uh, you, I think you guys said you were doing the, um, funnies girl episode. Um, so actually the cartoonist who did that was Peter Chu, who was on the set. He's one of the central, um, desks and, and, and we would see him cartooning and that, kind of had a was a factor in the whole thing and so they gave him the job to do those cartoons and he's also but he's bobby go deep i mean there's a line yep there's a line or an early episode oh, yes oh it's where they it. say bobby go deep and throw a football to him and i had to pick an extra to become bobby so he was but he called he you know or must have he caught the football, so <laughs> he became Bobby Go Deep for the entire series. And all the the whole the other thing that was very very important and beyond it crazy important to me um, was FYI was the show within the show. I mean, I had come from doing this live, basically live, because in those days when I did the soap operas in New York, the multicamp soap operas, it was an hour long a day, and it was what we called live for tape. There was videotape, but there was no editing whatsoever. So you, you shot it and cut it, and then it was played back later. So it was on delay, but it was not post-edited. So you had it, so it was that, it was, it was very much like the early days of television where you were doing a live show, and it had all that energy in it. And, and I, so I knew what that onset 
energy was and the crew energy. And I also was a big admirer of what Jim Brooks did with Broadcast News, which happened right before that. And the freneticism and the energy with Holly Hunter is, you know, um, uh, 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 on that. So I wanted to really do that. And I, and, and to make that workplace, um, have workplace energy and also have the layers so that we could tell jokes and story through many layers. So what I did was I did something illegal. I'd never get away with today. I'd never get away with most of the stuff that happened on that show, on that pilot today. Never in a million years. Um, because it's become far more regulated and corporatized and dollars and cents and stuff like that. But we had, we had more freedom. And what I did was I got real cameramen. Real, so those weren't extras. Those oh. were video cam, including, including a couple I brought from New York. Um, plus another guy I brought from New York who's going to be the ca- coordinator on the new version. That's so great. Roger Christensen and David Weinberg and these guys that I, that I brought in and another cameraman named Bobby Bryant. And these were all tape cameramen I had worked with who I also thought would be fun to have on camera and could do things on camera, but they could also get me the shots so that I could shoot. Um, I could have my film cameras. They would behave well with the, with the TV cameras and I could shoot what was on their monitor and have it be a good shot. You can't do that with extras that you bring in for a day. But these guys were working kind of as actors handling a camera, but technically they should have been paid union as tape camera. Yeah. So we got a win- but, but because it was not a tape stage, we were under a totally different contract. It was a whole, we just slid in under the radar. And, and I got this, ca- I got my buddy from, uh, Roger Christensen to coordinate from it behind the scenes so that we always had pre-taped shots up rolling in the FYI roll in. And then when we would cut to the slides of, of, you know, various perpetrators or, you know, whatever it was. So that, that all was a lot of work. That was a lot of work to be shooting live in front of an audience. And, and that took a lot, a lot of planning. And I, I got the opportunity to do it. And I was very proud of that. Uh, you know, you asked about contributions. And, and one thing that was very much, we haven't talked about really, but which is very much a shared vision with Diane was the kind of the influence of the front page, the, 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 the busyness and the pace of the newsroom and the pace of dialogue and that 30s kind of, you know, rat-a-tat delivery, which it's easy to say that and invoke it, but actually it's hard to make that seem credible. It's, it's hard to do and it's hard to do well. And I, I, I like watching, I like watching the first season because I really feel like you saw the actors get better and better and better. At first it's kind of like a nice, fun, whatever novelty that we're going for, but sometimes it seems forced. But over time, I mean, really with drilling and practice and, and familiar and really integrating it, that ensemble playing and the ability to talk like that and fast and yet have it be real and be, have thought behind it, um, evolved really nicely. And I was lucky to have the chance to play that out and have the satisfaction of seeing it come to fruition, become kind of the mark of the show. Well, and something I was going to ask about, because obviously we're, we're actors, we love actors, we love the the diverse group of actors that you get to work with as far as guest stars. Were there any in your time while you were working that you either were so excited was about to happen, one that you were nervous about happening? Any guest stars that stood out to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, especially once we got off the ground and the word was out that it was a quality show with quality writing and that Candace, you know, was Candace. Uh, people wanted to come and play, and that was an incredible opportunity. I think everybody would, I don't know, I shouldn't say that, everybody would agree with me, but we were all just flipped out and in love with uh, Colleen Dewurst. I mean, that has to be a real high point, because that was... You know, I, I had grown up watching major, major 
stage performances of hers in New York. I mean, I literally, she was an idol to begin with. Uh, but I'd never seen her really do balls out comedy like we were doing. And she just came ready to play. And she had such a sly wit. And she just, she just dove right in and, and, and became, took over as Murphy's mom. And, and Candy, you know, she, she had such size that Candy became smaller in her presence, like a little girl. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing feat. And then the jokes that we got to do with the, you know, the hat joke that was written in, but then we got to play the feathers in the face, and you know, everything that happens with the with the elevator. The elevator became such a, you know, which Diane wrote wrote in, and we put put in the center of the set. But it became such an opportunity always for stuff to happen and story to get told out of that elevator. And, and, and I, I have many favorite elevator moments, but probably, probably the two of those late Colleen and, 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 uh, Candy in there with their feathered hats, you know, live with me forever. Nuts. What was it like doing that, that final shot in mama said in season one where Colleen's singing? God, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I wish I'd gotten to that. I, 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 I only, I, yeah. I mean, it, it had to be. I know that we did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did it I don't remember it. I remember, God, I, was it, is it Mama said, or is it the second time she came back that we did the, uh, the, the billiards, the pool montage? The third oh, one. The third, yeah. Third? Yeah. And she comes off the, yeah. Mm-hmm. So her last time that she comes back yep. is, is, is the, the billiards and the blind date. Mm-hmm. What, what's, but it's great is that she comes off the elevator holding a gun. It's, it's quite the entrance. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> she had to disarm a very rude security guard. Yes. Uh-huh. Please return this to the proper authorities. Oh, that's right. That's only Avery would. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's iconic. Yeah. yeah, that was great. That was very. Really cool. Oh, one of my favorite guest stars, other than Colleen, is mm. Jay Thomas. Is Jerry Gold, well. who's uh, other than the main cast, my absolute favorite character he's her absolute absolute other than the main cast he's i talk about him a lot again i know jay is i know jay is uh was even by then you know was a a, a radio dj and had had you know i didn't i knew him from off off broadway theater um jay had been an actor in new york and i, I knew a totally different uh, aspect of him but he was so perfect for that part i mean he came in and he he nailed it and created the, uh, I, again, Diane was brilliant at seeing what's going on and then writing to it. Because I'm sure that was a one-off to begin with. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it yeah. was. And uh, my understanding is that through the chemistry between him and Candace, they decided to write a romance, which then, of course, became his through line through the series. I know. Yeah. Well, and he was just mentioned in an episode long before. Yeah, we talk about that too. The character of Jerry Gold gets mentioned in season one. Yeah. But He's we actually never... created by Russ Woody, and, but just as a, as a concept. Yeah, even though Denise and Cy wrote his first episode. Right, mm-hmm. wow, wow. I had forgotten the timing of all that. But yeah. Yeah, we had too until we started rewatching so closely. There, there were so many people. There was so much. We had such fun casting that thing. I mean, Robin Thomas was an actor I'd worked with on the soaps. Um, Jenny O'Hara, who does a great job, and that's a wonderful performance. And Jenny had been on My Sister Sam, Diane's show. Uh, and she's a warm and hilarious um, a- actress. And that was tremendous fun doing that. I- I- I'd be leaving people out right and left. We also, um, I haven't seen it. I know what, was it called Mos- Moscow on the Potomac? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. What year is that? That's season one. Yep. That is season one. Was that Robin Strasser? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Robin Strasser was a big soap opera star in New York, huge at the time. But you never saw her do comedy, and then she comes in and does that. I mean, there was just a lot of really fun. Yeah, Janet Carroll as Doris mm-hmm. is one of our favorites Janet, as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Doris. Yeah, yeah. Oh, two of them were great. You know, great couple. And of course, uh, Einstein himself, Buck Henry, is just wild. It's- well, and you also have so many secretaries yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are also all these great character actors. I know you guys talked about Charlie Lang, of course, secretary. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I remember hearing, I, I, I actually made a couple, I mean, I haven't heard that many, but I, I, I made, I, I could, I could tell you some things that 
please, that we got wrong or right. Yes, <laughs> yes, please. Yes, yes please. We like to be corrected. Right, let's see. So Charlie Lang, despite the fact that the concept always was that she was always firing secretaries, we like Charlie Lang so much that basically after a few episodes, Diane had pretty much decided to just keep Charlie Lang as the secretary. Oh, really? Oh, dirty secret. That's yeah. awesome. We didn't know this. And, yes. And the problem was that the studio wanted to pay him uh, as, a, as a guest star constantly. And he wanted a recurring, or he and his agents asked for recurring money, which is fair. I mean, that's kind of fair. But yeah, at this point, you know, we had the combination of the concept of the multiple secretaries who would be breaking. It. Anyway, they didn't pay Charlie, so Charlie didn't come back. And we, we went on with the multi-secretaries. But if Charlie had said yes, that bit probably would have ended right there. Mm-hmm. Because he wow. just, we loved all our sites. This like, I, I, you had yeah. that you interviewed. I didn't hear it yet, but you interviewed Marianne Mullaly. Yeah, yeah, we did. Incredible. I mean, there were so many. She's incredible. Terrific people um, that were secretaries. It's unbelievable. And you were talking about the Tony Goldwyn, uh, uh, you know, in the pilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then his representatives come in. Mm-hmm. Did you know that the the guy who talks the most is Mark Lana. He's one of the founders of uh, the Improv. Oh, no. really? Yeah. Cool. Like, yeah. Um, you guys talked about the Camus joke in the pilot. It's our favorite. We love that. So, love it. And you were totally right. Little was it, Lauren? I guess the, the little girl and you recognized that it was like sort of like Cascade, and so you put the joke together. Well, I got the wrong soap it's though. Ca- mm-hmm. it's I, it is Camay. Oh, Camay. I was right. Hey. But Camay, oh, yeah. but I don't know, that Cam- does Camay still exist? Yeah, I, I still use does it. Does it? Wow, you do. But yeah. it's not so as famous, it's not as popular as no. it was then. But Camay was a household word, so that's where the Camus joke comes about. Yeah, I just didn't get the layer of it yeah. until I was a teenager. And, <laughs> and, and you were saying that you liked the moment when everybody leaned in in the bar to overhear her talking? Yes. Yes, we didn't get to mention what that's referencing to, though. I, yeah. yeah, we missed, it's, we didn't get to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, it's E.F. Hutton, right? I think it's E.F. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we ran out of time. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you guys are doing great. That's all I have to say. You guys are doing just great. I can't believe, I <laughs> can't believe anybody knows as much about this series. That's history. our pull quote. <laughs> yes, doing great. Well, thank you. Every, Diane said that as well, that we, we, know, we know more than she oh, does. I, I don't know if... We believe that, but we take that as a compliment. We'll take the compliment. I, I mean, yes, you're, thank you. you're, you know, we're all getting older. You're, you're our memory. <laughs> the one, I, I, I got to do a shout out to that writer's room. Those, please, please do. Oh, please they do. They were all yeah. such a team. So great. And I was back there. I went to, uh, you know, and I've worked with Corby since. I've worked with some, some of them uh, a number of times since. Um, Steve and Gary, um, uh, I did the pilot for Suddenly Susan and then did an episode with those guys and with Cor- uh, and with Corey, uh, Corby. Uh, but I also did the middle with Corby. But and I and I worked on a show with Russ a couple of times. Um, Norm and Tom, I hadn't seen for years, but I just went back to Burbank where they're writing for the revision. And to see that gang, Tom Palmer and Mark Flanagan, who actually I went to Yale Drama with uh, to see those guys together with diane i miss corbs there of course but uh what a great team what a what a terrific team and everybody brought something so special and and i heard some of the guys say on your thing which i think is true and i didn't quite it was it was informative for me but um uh how 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 she let them have their individual voices as well as everything going through her her typewriter or Corby's. I mean, in the end, there was always a pass, a Corby pass or a Diane pass. But but you could I, you could always tell whose episode it was, just as you could tell um, which character was speaking. I know you've referenced that. Uh, you could also hear the voice, uh, the contribution of of the teams. You know, they all had their own, they all had their own thing, and they all loved each other, and they brought a great energy down to the stage. Every they they came. To be entertained. 
And I'll tell you something about that group. They never did what I've seen, which is kind of in, uh, a cliche and endemic on, on sitcom stages. I'd run throughs where sometimes writers try to sell their jokes by overlapping them. And they never did that. They let everything, they, they became an audience and they became neutral judges and they were there to see what actually was there and to, to rewrite, you know, from that. The, the, I had seen a couple of stages where there was real distrust between the writer's room and the stage. And it was very important to me that that not be the case. And so what I would do is, I, as I said, I'd, I'd, I'd make the actors really try to make everything work. And then I would go at the end of rehearsal, I would go to the writer's room. I'm talking about not on run-through days, but on, on, on days where it was just rehearsal days. And I would kind of debrief the writers on, on what was going on on the stage and try to keep everybody informed. And they were so, as, as a group of writers, they were so welcoming to me and inclusive of me and my input. And, um, that's not usual. That's, that's not, not every, a lot of shows don't, have, do not have that relationship with the director. And, and, um, again, Diane, Corby, but all of them, uh, created an opportunity for that to be a, a whole family family uh, ensemble creation that you don't get everywhere. It wasn't an us-them show. It was an us-us-us mm. show. I was actually gearing up to ask you to, to talk about your relationship specifically with the writer's room, but you already answered my own question. Thank you for yeah. that. I was, I was wondering about that, especially when you have someone like Diane and, and Corby already being a voice to them. There, there is usually less of a, a relationship between the director and the individual writers. And I think it says a lot. You can see in the satisfaction the writers, especially the ones we've spoken to, have with their work, that there was clearly an empowerment of their yeah. station. I had worked, Corby had been on, I just remembered, Corby had been on My Sister Sam. Uh, and, and, and Diane had such respect and trust in Corby that that was a very... That, that made it like having sometimes, I won't say two moms, but, but, but it made you feel very, very solid that they were so together. By the other, by the way, another writer on My Sister Sam, who I met through Diane was Danny Jacobson, who I, mm. who I, who oh, created wow. with Paul Reiser, Mad About You, which I did the pilot yeah. of, and I met Danny from working on that, that, that Sister Sam I did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that um, we've talked about before. I think on the show is, you know, when you're starting out, people will say, oh, well, it's, it's about who you know. But as your career goes along, I, you know, slowly discovered it's about who you meet along the way, mm -hmm. who then you know to continue to work with that leads to other jobs to other jobs because they, you know, enjoy working with someone mm -hmm. and you're going to continue to want to work with them again. Mm, absolutely. Did, Peter, did Peterman tell the story about how I directed him in New York when he was an acting student? No, but no. he hasn't told us a lot of stories like that. Steve. Didn't tell us he was in a movie with Joe. Nope, Joe had to tell us that. I didn't know so that. Tell us that story. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, they were really in a cool. TV movie with Ann Mira. Yep, because I looked it up. Wow. <laughs> About Hal Linden being married to a younger woman, but falling in love with a woman his own age, played by Ann Mira. Wow. I can't find the actual movie, but there's a very short commercial. No, I, I, you're making me want to. You're making me want to see it. No, I didn't know that, yeah. but Steve and I got reunited out there because um, he had been an he had been a uh, an acting student at Circle in the Square Acting School, mm -hmm. and Nico Sakharopoulos, who sort of was one of the main teachers there, uh, brought me in to guest direct the acting student, and I cast I cast Steve as the lead in a uh, uh, in a Chekhov play and an early Chekhov play comedy, or very much a comedy. And uh, he was terrific, and that's where his wife saw him and said, he's cute, and they've been married ever since. Oh, that's how it works. Yeah, Susan. <laughs> I almost went to Circle in the Square, mm -hmm. but I picked the actor studio instead. Uh -huh. It was a hard choice. Uh, been, been there, too. Do you have any particular favorite episodes? Um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be season one, but episodes that stand out to you as favorites. I, I do. I probably have... 
I probably have too many. As a matter of fact, I started to acquire more as I was watching again. Mm-hmm. But the ones that I think about that just pop into my head, I, 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 Brother Silverberg was a oh, so good. very big one for me. Um, I loved it. I loved working with John Tenney. Uh, Jane Leaves and I had worked together before. So when I don't remember when was that we introduced Jane Leaves. Season two? season two in it's that two. episode. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. episode where Miles dates her first. Yeah. So Brother Silverberg is a very, very special one um, and for me. And, uh, of course, Birth 101 and, of course, um, uh, of course, the pilot. But um, yeah. And if I can just interrupt you to tell the audience you won an Emmy for Birth 101. Yep. I did. I did. You sure did. That was that was you know that. But the audience <laughs> may not know. In case you don't know. <laughs> and I actually won a, I, I won a DGA award for the pilot. So the, the, those were big mm-hmm. milestones, obviously, in my career. And they, they enabled a lot of stuff. And, you know, I'm very grateful to the show to having made those things possible. A Jingle Hell, Jingle Hell was a big, big one for me. <laughs> Steve and I have an argument about this, mm-hmm. about the origin of that episode. Oh, really? Because he told us his origin. So what's yours? Yeah, well, it's the false. He told you the false version. Fortunately, I'm going to correct it, you know. But unfortunately, we have to agree to disagree on this one. And you know what? You you have to ask Diane. But but I think it's too impolitic. I don't think I think she would never get in the middle of this one. Well, this is your platform, Barnett. Okay. You tell us your story. You tell your truth. Here's what happened. Um, As a freelancer... I, I was never in a job in an office for a period of time where you actually got to the holiday season and you had co-workers and the whole office gift giving thing was totally at Christmas. These were I'm a Jewish guy. These I, I didn't know what to do about Christmas. This is my problem as well. And this was a real crisis. And and in fact, what I was working on was I, I was sort of tempted to overdo it. I didn't know what the right thing to do was, the wrong thing to do is stuff like that. And as we got closer to, to the time, because uh, we used to sit around and have coffee at the table in the morning. We would read the rewrite, and that's when a lot of joking went on, a lot of and, and, and conversation. If there, was, if there was trouble in the world, if there was news, if there was anything that got aired, after we read the table read and then uh, the the next day script, this is just the cast I'm talking about, mm-hmm. not with the writers. And then we'd start rehearsing. And as Christmas approached, Candy came up with the the idea. I think it was Candace's idea that we were going to make a pact that nobody that we weren't going to give each other presents, that we were going to give the money to charity. We were going to give to charity or something like that. And this seemed like such a wise thing to me and also relieved me of a lot of anxiety. But besides the cast and all that, there were all the people I worked super closely with that, you know, the camera, the cameraman, the, the DP, Gil Hubs, the director of photography, Gil Hubs, the, the, um, Karen Holly and, and Larry Dolan, the prop people, uh, Katie Dowdle, the script supervisor, and most especially Marge Mullen, the camera coordinator. They were they 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 were carrying me in so many ways. I, they I, I felt so you know close to them, and so I, I had been like ramping up to give out all these gifts and everything. And then we made this pack. Now I don't know if you know this, but the there weren't built-in dressing rooms on stage four. Have you heard this yet? No. There were no built-in dressing rooms on stage four, or not good ones, uh, where the show was shot. So what they did was they moved a trailer, I mean a, a mobile home, onto the set by, by one of the doors. By the door, if you went out the other door, it was head of the class. And then you came in, and it was our show. And the first thing you saw was craft services, table with all the food, and right across from all the food was Candace's trailer. And that was her. 
And Candy was so great about it because I got to tell you, because there were no bathrooms on the stage. And Candy would let us use her bathroom. And she's very generous and very sharing. And she had it decorated. By the way, this wasn't just the out of the box. I, you know, she had, I don't know who did it. I, I mean, she did it. It's her taste. But I don't know who executed it. But that thing was decorated. And so one day, it, as Christmas approached, and I was all in and giving to charity and had not bought gifts for all these people, people I felt so grateful to and had such and i walk in the stage and i see marge mullen the camera coordinator cut, walking backing out of candace's trailer you know kind of <laughs> holding a gift saying thank you and i just went white i just went crazy and and and, and i i went right in and sat down in candy's trailer and i said what did you just do? I, we weren't going to give gifts. And I was so vulnerable because this is the whole Jew thing, you know? And, and I said, I thought we weren't giving gifts. Yeah. She said, yeah, but that's just, but that's March. I got to give so, just a little something to March. Candy, by the way, is one of the most generous gift givers in the world. So oh. a little something, you know, from Candy, I mean, is not a little something. She's a very generous person. So, she said, oh, it's just a little something, and it's from Marge. I said, Marge, but Marge, she works with me. She's, I'm the one that has to, and now I haven't given her anything, and then, and, 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 oh, no, don't be silly. And I left, and I was still, like, worked up and upset and stuff like that. And, I, and later that day, I went into Diane's office, and I said, let me tell you what happened on the stage today. I said, this brought up all the things all my anxiety about being a Jew, like I didn't know how to do the right thing. And now Candy broke the, and I was feeling so much better until Candy, you know, uh, and then she broke the pact and, 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 and I, and I'm the Jew and I look like the cheap Jew. I think there's an episode there. And, and please tell me that was her first reaction. What? No, I said, I think there's I, an episode there. Oh, you did. I said, I, I feel like a schmuck, but I think there's an episode there. And that was That's it. Fantastic. And that was it. And then the guys wrote it. You know, Steve and Gary wrote the hell out of it. It was a hilarious episode. Mm-hmm. We they won the Emmy for mm-hmm. that. Won the Emmy for it. We had a we had a you know a ball doing it. But that's Steve and I have always agreed to disagree because he says that Susan suggested his wife suggested it to him. And I think is that what he says? Um, oh, I don't remember. I I. I know it was definitely yeah. Candace was the crux of it. Yeah, it was, Candace was yeah. the inspiration. It was she gave a gift to March Mullen, and I hit the ceiling. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's yours. There you go. I will say the one person in this conversation not raised Jewish. I will still say it still resonates <laughs> as somebody who like we made an agreement. I'm a poor actor. Thank you so much for taking this off my plate. I don't have to buy for all these people. Yeah. And then somebody had to be generous. <laughs> it resonates. Yes, I think it's definitely universal. It sure is. Yeah. Particularly at the end of the episode when they all go to pharmacy and buy Hummel mm. figures. Oh, the Hummels. Oh, my God. And that's uh, Jennifer Lewis, right? It- um, oh, you know what? Jennifer Lewis? Jennifer Lewis is in... Oh, goodness. Jennifer Lewis is in uh, Uh-Oh!, yeah, part two. Yep. But I, I did she, did she did she come over twice? Yeah. Who's the check, who actually. is the lady in the farm? You know, who's kicking them out it's, because they're closing the pharmacy? Jennifer Lewis of the St. Louis Lewises. That's what she said. Uh-huh. She used to be a harlot. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. I think I knew it once. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Bette Midler fan, so I I know too much about the harlots. She also has a very hilarious autobiography out right now. I yeah yeah. The mother of Black Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. So is it Jennifer yeah. though? Did you find it? We're, we're checking, looking. we're checking, okay. we're checking. You are correct. She's did it twice. So she's a recurring person in the pharmacy. Yeah, Jennifer. I can't believe I forgot that. So it looks like Diane told me that I, you know, I'm going back to do episode 13 of this new order. That's great. Yay. Congrats. I'm going to New York to, just to do that. To, and um, Diane says it's the Christmas episode. Oh, that's hey. great. 
So who knows? Maybe we'll run into Jennifer Lewis again. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer has to come back. She's, I, hey, she's here. She's still working, still at, working the pharmacy. at the pharmacy. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I believe it. Sure. If the pharmacy's still there, Time it might changed. be a Starbucks now. <laughs> I mean, probably is a Starbucks now. Well, I would love to. I know we're talking a lot about you know the nostalgia and everything, but yeah. I'd love for people to know what you're up to now. You're at yeah. USC, correct? I I am at USC. I am at USC. I uh, at during the last writer strike, I was doing a show on ABC called Notes from the Underbelly, and when they when the the writers were considering going on strike, and I thought, you know, we're going to be shut down for a while, and I don't want to. Um, just be sitting around. And I, as I said, I worked at Circle and Square Acting School. I worked at NYU. I worked at Columbia Film School. When I was a theater director, I, I was an adjunct. And I always loved teaching. So I said, you know, I offered, I had an idea about creating a class in directing comedy. Because it there is none. It doesn't exist anywhere. It's the subject that people just, like, shy away from. It's like you're either funny or you're not, you know, and, and they don't try to, you know, break it down a little bit and foster particularly comic talent. So I had, and I wanted to create a class like that, and I, I pitched that idea to AFI, the American Film Institute, in anticipation of the writer's strike and, and to USC. And both of them said, wow, you really? There's no such thing as a directing comic? Well, that's very interesting, but we have other things on our, you know, we have a curriculum. I said, okay, no problem, no hard feelings. I went out, and they both called me and asked me to teach. So I started teaching during that writer's strike, and I just loved it. I was teaching other things. I was teaching things that they had on. I was teaching scene study class. I was teaching directing actors. I was teaching scene breakdown. Uh, I was mentoring thesis projects, but I, 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 you know, and I was just enjoying myself. So when... Um, the writer's strike was over. I went back to do the middle and a number of other shows that I that I enjoyed. But you know what? It was competing with my time teaching. And I just found myself, I found that I was having such an interesting time trying to figure out how to convey what I had been doing since I was 17 to students and working with them that I decided I wanted to make a bigger commitment to teaching. And USC took me up on it and offered me tenure. And uh, I took it. And at that time, in the course of that, I got the opportunity to pitch my idea again about creating a directing comedy course and also creating a comedy program, again, which didn't exist in 2011. And Dean Elizabeth Daly said, yeah, she 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 said yes which is a wonderful feeling. And that's what I've been doing ever since, building with my collaborators, David Isaacs of Cheers and MASH fame and Jack Epps of Top Gun and other great movies, um, creating a comedy program at USC. And um, they have supported it, and uh, I, I've been enjoying doing that. And they gave me a chair, the Robin Williams Chair in Comedy. Uh, so that's what I do now. I just I'm I'm the child of an educator. My mother just retired last year after 47 years as a professor. And I'm a teacher, a freelance teaching artist myself, and I I believe very passionately. I do primarily Shakespeare because I love it, and uh, but I believe very passionately in educators who want to be educators and celebrate the art form and have ideas about what they want as far as bringing the our generations forward, especially in the arts. I think I was. I learned a lot having some educators who were there because it didn't work out and it was a fallback. Yeah. And I I love hearing so much that you had such a passion for it that you chose it because you because you care about being an educator. I think it's so important for especially within our arts. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've just been feeling, you know, very fortunate. I I actually started I got my first paycheck as a director. I mean, a very modest paycheck and a very modest gig, but I got my first paycheck as a director when I was 17. So I've been doing this. I've had a lot of opportunities to do to do what it is I love, and and um, I don't necessarily need to do another episode because I've 
been fortunate enough to do so many, and I've done a few features, and I've had that experience, and I've had that shot. I've done a lot of plays. I actually went back to New York a year and a half ago and did a play at the Cherry Lane um, with Estelle Parsons and Judith Ivey uh, by Israel Harvitz called Out of the Mouths of Babes. And um, uh, so, I, you know, I can keep my hand in, but what I'm primarily doing and what I'm really passionate about right now is trying to figure out how to how to bring along the next, that next generation, as you say. Yeah, and for comedy, I think it's so important because yes. uh, it's sometimes considered sort of, I hate to use this term, but the redheaded stepchild. Totally. Because, That's uh, the premise of my whole pitch. You know, it's the most overlooked, under-respected. I was at a wedding last night and, and uh, sitting at a table uh, with a, 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 a colleague, a friend, who's a, you know, successful director and... and um, actor and director who teaches at the American Film Institute. And he said to me, I think it's so great, uh, you know, what you're doing at USC, he said, because he said, I, I had a student, you know, I have a student now who does these issue kind of drama films. And he came up to me one day and he said, can I talk to you, you know, uh, about something? And it was like, uh-oh, what's coming next? And he says, I, nobody knows this about me and I, I feel safe telling you and my friend Perry Lang is going like what's net you know where are we going what kind of private is coming out of what closet and he said what I really want to do is stupid comedies <laughs> oh, oh bless and, his heart and that was an enactment of this thing where where you're in this quote unquote you're in this period of your life where you think you've got to prove something by and I think, to me, comedy is the smartest thing on earth. Frank. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. uh, I, it's the hardest. My, my goal yeah. at USC was to um, bring respect to it and, and make students feel like it was a, they could choose to do a comedy for their thesis. They, could, they would get support. They would get mentorship. There would be faculty members who, knew, you know, had, who could say more to them about uh, then, then, well, maybe you should go faster or, you know, something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just reminded me, I did a comedy for my thesis, you know, at the actor's studio. So people were very confused. Why, why are you doing this? And we were like, it's Elaine May. Mm -hmm. the, you know, this, this is, this is actually a higher stature. And yeah, it's harder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's so. I'm so glad I did it. That's so interesting to hear. I did a, I did a comedy, which at, uh, the first play I directed by Israel Harvitz, and Israel Harvitz was the um, director of the, the head of the playwrights unit at the Actors Studio. Mm -hmm. So Israel wrote a play called The Good Parts many years ago, and um, he wanted to mount it at the Actors Studio, but the Actors Studios didn't do comedies. I mean, nobody there got it, you know? I mean, like, I mean, got the, you know, nobody would bring out a comedy. But Israel wanted to do it, so we did it at the Actors Studio, and it was a really big success there, and we moved off Broadway. But it was like farting in church to do a comedy at the Actors Studio. That was the atmosphere around it. Well, we got that out of our system. Now we can go back, you know, to crying all the time. <laughs> yeah. It just blows my mind as somebody who focuses a, a lot of, I've focused a lot of study on the classics, and they're full of comedy especially raunchy comedy and Absolutely. big the blue comedy because they were allowed to do it but it's some of the best writing in our literary history is in the comedies well i wonder this is just me thinking out loud they always say that everyone thinks they have a sense of humor right yeah. Yeah. and so i'm sure people go oh well i'm funny this person's being funny so it must be easy well that's the greatest you know Mistake, and and everybody in the profession knows that comedy is actually the hardest. But people, they think, and they also they also approach comedy from the wrong end. They think if you, everybody does have a sense of humor, and everybody does know how to be funny in in the safe circumstances where they can, where they're willing to risk, like with their family. But but to be funny on command, of course, is a is a very very uh, different thing. Essentially, the willingness. To take risk, and and you have to trust. You have to have a lot of confidence, and you have to have a lot of confidence to be willing to make a fool of yourself, and to be silly, and to look ridiculous, and and you have to be very intelligent to act stupid. As we were talking about the Judy Holiday thing, 
Um, Candy is somebody who's such an intelligent person, just, just a wildly intelligent person. It takes a really confident and intelligent person to respect comedy. That's mm-hmm. what I feel. And uh, I was lucky to fall in with Diane and Candy and, and this lot uh, to to get to do this. Yeah, I love that you use the word risk because I yes. think that's what that, at the heart of it. Yep. Is, is in, and in that acting in general, but particularly in comedy, if you don't take that risk, if there's no truth to your comedy, it's going to fall flat. A- absolutely. I mean, people think when they're approaching comedy, if, if you ask somebody, well, you know, we're going to do something, come up with something, a comedy, they think, first thing they think is, oh, well, I got to think of some silly things. Well, it's exactly the opposite. What you've got to think of is the most serious and painful thing and be willing to go out there and put it out there. I think comedy is very sacrificial kind of art. Yeah, absolutely. You sacrifice your dignity. You sacrifice your privacy in order to uh, remind us all that we're all like that. We're all flawed. We're all we all fail. We all mm-hmm. land on our assets all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, the idea of sitcom is situational comedy. The comedy comes out of what they're stuck in. You know, we talk about uh, the gravity that Miles has when he's losing his mind. He's not making a punchline at that moment he is truly in what he thinks is the depths of despair anytime jim tells a story and gets very serious all of a sudden it's the funniest thing in the world because in his moment it is just the most heightened type of of drama but to all of us it's hilarious yeah and we laugh because we see recognition yeah yeah you know he just i just was thinking about jim and those reveries and and um you know also in the middle of a run you know, we had a we've had a thing that we always called on stage, and we all uh, and and in the writers' room, mind pictures, right? That makes mm. a mind pic. And Jim was always having these mind pictures where his eyes would wander away from whoever he's talking about, and he's imagining something he's never going to tell us, but we get to imagine what Jim, the other side of Jim, will never see. And that was always having a mind picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we and we had those cues. You know, the familiarity and this this teamwork, we could just t- say, well, ha- why don't you have a mind picture now? And he does. He and does. and he has multiple that he goes between as he's reliving these traumas. <laughs> yeah, that was something we were just talking about in the past episode we recorded, mm-hmm. is that there's something really amazing about the fact that in his real life, he is really like an anchor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and to be able to sort of take that and encapsulize it in a human being in the way that they tell stories is, you know, and even Doris is the same type of person. You mm-hmm. see how perfect they are for each other. How, how many times was Doris on the show? A lot. A lot. Not yet for us. Yeah. Uh, um, we've heard about Doris. Uh, we've not seen Doris yet. I think she comes in season two. Season two. Yeah. yeah the wedding. I, I, oh, the wedding. Yeah. I, I was going to yes. mention yeah. that when you said about, was that the end of season two? Is that what that was? The end of yeah. season two. The yeah, Temptations. Was, was a, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, and then we just see more and more of Doris. That was a that <laughs> yeah. was a big thrill uh, to do yeah. that episode and to do an episode of that size and and to have the temptations on. We were all we I were mean, all really high. And afterwards, and I don't I mean that figuratively in this case. Uh, <laughs> you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's legal in Canada as well as California. Okay, we're going to start all the propaganda. But no, no, we were just high on music and on love at that uh, at that when we did that episode and and those temps just stood around and sang songs to us. Ah. Oh wow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Concert. No, no, no. It was like a party. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um there was of course Doris number 2 in season 10. <laughs> yes. I don't think you directed her though, but yeah. um they replaced uh I think Janet was she was, I think, I'm pretty sure that she was doing a show. She, yeah. I think she was in She's Little Women. She's not available. So we're guessing she wasn't available. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Conchita, um, oh, what's her name? I can't think of her name right now. She was on um, Providence. Yeah, I just pulled up my acting database here, my actor database, uh, because yes. I was trying to check Jennifer. And, and, and I, Janet Carroll, let's see. Uh, yeah, I worked with her on a show called Beverly Hills Bunts that was created by David Milch. Uh, that was a awesome. spinoff of Hill Street. I know his name, but yeah. I don't know the show. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was it a spinoff of yeah. Hill Street Blues? Yeah. Oh, interesting. It was uh, Dennis uh, Franz. He played. Uh, oh, okay. And, oh, okay. And, yeah. and uh, she was in Risky Business. Did you remember that, Janet Carroll? Yes, yes. That's the yes. big thing that I think that's most I knew people her. will yeah. know her from. Yeah. But the first name that popped up when I opened the database here just now was David Duchovny. David Duchovny read from Miles Silverberg. That's. 
That's interesting. Oh my god, it could you go did on see for everybody. days. Yeah. Who who read for miles? I mean. Wow. Okay, it looks like that she was in about 10 episodes, mm-hmm. which doesn't feels like it was more than that, but that's she what's coming up. L- quite leaves the impression. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? We take that back. She actually shows up in um, the New Year's Eve episode before the wedding in season oh. two. Oh, wow. That was before, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I thought that was after. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. great. No, she's one of, one of our favorites. But is there anything that, because, you know, we don't want to take too much of your yeah. time, that we haven't talked about a story or something that you'd wanted to tell us that we just missed? Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is, I mean, I've enjoyed this conversation. Oh, I learned listening too, yeah. to you guys. Oh, thanks. Thank you. And, and, and it brings back, you know, it brings back thoroughly happy memories. They're, they're not ambivalent memories. They're not like, you know, most things are a little bit, okay, the one about Peterman and the idea about Jingle Hell, that, that's a little bit bitter. But aside from that, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> yeah, just so we were we were so excited to get to talk to you. And even um, I have a, a friend that I told that we were speaking to you today and somebody who doesn't even know the show that well was so excited at the idea of getting to hear your stories. It's it's a huge honor for us to get to talk to you and hear about what it was like creating this. Well, yeah, and we'd love to have you on another time. Well, I'd love to. I'd love to. And, you know, if I come back another time, I want to talk about candy more. I mean, <laughs> no, in a way. We're happy about In that. a way, because I... You know, everything that happened, of course, happened because of Diane, but also happened because of Candace and the way she the way she interpreted being the star of a television show. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything that I think that all the stuff that we reached for and and to some and I think succeeded in achieving and then they were not standard things on a sitcom stage were because of Candace's willingness to play and the fact that she was generous enough she interpreted being a star the star of a show what it meant to her was that she was the leader that she had to work the hardest that she had to set the example usually stars of shows interpreted as that being they're the most privileged and they're the ones that everybody else has to work around candy just was exactly the opposite and when candy was working so hard and willing to work the long hours and willing to take the chances and willing to trust the writing and willing to try the the shtick that i you know laid on her and others um everybody just fell in and did it and it was her example and without her throwing herself in and risking um, the way she did, and and she was at risk. We haven't done the story uh, about how she got the job, you know. And I'm sure Diane will tell it, except for you know. And everybody knows that Diane was the hero of that one. She wouldn't take no for an answer, and Candy had to go in through a little version of hell to get it, and then to bounce back from that, and not in any way to be sore, but to throw herself in and be the leader in a, in a lot of ways made everything else possible. So that's my sign off. Yeah, I was going to yes. say, what a great way to end the interview. I, I feel so good. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank Pleasure you so much for this. You. Same Thank here. You. We'll talk soon. So nice to meet nice you. Yes, yeah, nice to meet you. Bye. Really? Wow. Wow. Welcome to yeah. Queens. Yes. Okay. <laughs>